All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? What the fuck, Duckins? How's that? thanksgiving What's happening? How are you? Where are we at? Uh, are you listening? Have you ducked away? Are you, are you at your people's house? Are you at a house that you don't want to be at? Have you been taken to a house by somebody you love and you're doing it because it's your turn to do it this year, to go to the other house? What's happening? Are you alone? Are you just hanging around by yourself, telling yourself, I don't care about holidays, but there's nothing open and I can't do anything but sit and reflect, sit and stew, sit and be sad. What have you done? Are you watching the dog show? What are you doing? Are you freaking out? Are you fucked up already? Are you are you locked in the room you grew up in? Where are you? Where are you at? What's going on? Are you yelling? Are you with are you with somebody who's yelling? Are is it is there yelling going on? Is somebody making a bad dish that they make every year and you just suck it up and eat it? Are you cooking? Where are you at? How are the kids? What time is it? Do you know where your children are? Remember that ad? They used to come on, on TV back when there was only three stations, just a priest sitting uncomfortably, awkwardly at a desk or something. It's, it's 11.30, parents. Do you know where your children are? It's 10 o'clock, parents. Do you know where your children are? I am in Florida, and I am punchy. You know the word, punchy? I'm a little... Uh, <laughs> Look, I got back from Denver. I was home for a day. I got back on Sunday. On Monday, I spent half a day moving towards driving to and then talking to Albert Brooks, which you'll hear on Monday. And then I got my shit together. But I paced myself out. I was surprised. I'm usually filled with a, a certain amount of dread just when I have to travel these days. I don't know why. But I, I flew down here on Tuesday morning on JetBlue, and I sprung for the mint and they gave me a nice vegan meal. And I got here at like eight at night and I'm just, I lock in. I've, I've got to conceive of the dinner before I get into it. And I've made this dinner before, obviously many of you know, uh, but this year I'm not, I'm vegan, which is fine. I'm not bragging. I don't give a shit what you do. But I, you know, when I lock into something, I'm going to stay locked in until, uh, until the day comes where I don't. But right now I'm locked in and I figured out that I can make almost everything vegan outside of the stuffing that everybody likes, the turkey, the turkey gravy, obviously. Other than that, all vegan. This is going to be a smaller crew than usual. My aunt passed away a few months ago. My mother's sister, I haven't seen my cousins or my uncle since that happened. I figured there'd probably be a little bit of a weight in the air but I'm happy I came. I felt like I should come. I've, I've enjoyed cooking so far, but then again, I haven't slept much. My mother and I aren't fighting. Her dog is, uh, has diarrhea uh, and is uh, doing that around the house. I don't know if it's for me, but, um, but having sick animals. Her, her boyfriend, John, who many of you know from me talking about him here on the podcast or on bits is still himself. There's still a lot going on in the house that's unnecessary. My mother just had to change her clothes to uh, take a ride to go pick up some paper plates and things. And John was, uh, you know, had four minutes to wait. And uh, I'm just cooking. He goes, tell your mother, tell, tell, tell Toby that I'm, uh, I'm going to be outside. I'm going to be outside pruning a tr- uh, the bush. 
on the on the other side of the house. Tell tell her I'm going to be pruning the bush. And I'm like, okay, all right, out on on this side. Okay, John, I'll, I'll be out here. Okay, that went on for a while, but then there's you know the, it's almost a gift in a way that the dog is shitting all over the house because it gives him something to focus on and clean up. There's nothing that he likes more than to uh, to clean up. I, I uh, watched him eat a pomegranate today. It was very exciting. My mother has a uh, flipping through reels problem. I think she's on Instagram, just sits in, the, in her chair and flips through reels and watches them uh, almost uh, like hypnotized. It's all right, I guess, right? We haven't talked much, uh, her and I, since I got here, but everything seems copacetic. Again, there's a heaviness in the air, and there's the the severe reality that, you know, these are older people. Now, again, many of you have been through this stuff. I'm fortunate to have my parents still alive. I'm 60 years old. They had me when they were 12. Uh, Not really. But uh, she's still alive, and, you know, John's kicking along. They're clearly aging. But I don't know. It's given me some other way to look at this experience, and I don't even know if it's intentional. You know, as I come down here, I think about my parents, my parents' inappropriateness, whatever trauma they caused me, whatever, however they wired me in the way that, uh, you know, I've been kind of emotionally hobbled and self-esteem-wise hobbled, but, you know, I don't know. It's not that it goes away, but after a certain point, I don't know. What the fuck difference does it make? But here's my my other revelation, is that uh, I'm going to have Thanksgiving here, and I'm not going to make it about me. I imagine that at most gatherings, it's someone's making it about themselves, and I imagine that some gatherings are problematic because there's a competition between, you know, two to five people who would like to make the day about them. Uh, and that causes a lot of resentment and uh, patterns, and, and I get it. But I, I'm just here, you know, I, I like to do the cooking. I'm excited that the leftovers are going to be mostly vegan so I can actually eat them without the same amount of disgust and shame the next day. You know, come the second or third day of eating turkey and stuffing leftovers filled with, you know, butter and fat... Uh, you know, it's almost like, you know, when you feel kind of crappy after you eat or you're tired or whatever you feel, generally for me, it's not good almost ever, but on Thanksgiving specifically that, uh, you know, that just keeps going, you know, however you manufacture your leftovers for the next few days, but that's not going to be an issue. But I guess my point is, is that I know that generally what I say on this day is that if you need to Take a walk, take a walk. If you need to pull out of a conversation, pull out of a conversation. Use whatever you have at your disposal to maintain your sanity. Whatever means, whatever methods you have at your disposal to maintain your sanity without hurting yourself or others. Try not to engage in emotional abuse. And if you can stand up for yourself, uh, try not to take any. But sometimes you got to suck that up. <laughs> sometimes it's, it's hard to deflect or protect yourself, but uh, it's only a couple days, right? But it all stands, folks. It all stands. If you want to uh, to take a walk before you blow your stack, take a walk. And 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 another thing, if the dish didn't come out right, fuck it. It's it's Thanksgiving. Everyone will understand. And just pick the top off, or 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 throw it away, or or make them eat it and pretend like they like it. 
But try to take care of yourself, but also realize that uh, who knows what the future holds environmentally, politically. And I know there's you know political problems, but uh, we're starting to realize at this point with family members and uh, people that have lost their minds or are no longer the people we know that that's the way they are now. Uh, maybe if their beliefs come to pass politically, uh, they can all laugh or, uh, or when they see how awful it is, they can all feel bad as they uh, watch their uh, college-aged um, transgender progressive children being thrown in trucks. But, you know, maybe grandchild. You know what? Maybe maybe that's too harsh. I What I'm saying is all that stuff, none of it fucking matters in the way that, you know, you're at Thanksgiving, you know who not to talk to, you know who not to engage, but at least try to realize that nothing is good almost anywhere and that uh, if you can somehow appreciate the fact that the people you're with, you love them, you care about them, or you used to love them, uh, you, you know, figure it out um, and, and try to accept it. Because the bottom line is, who the fuck knows what's going to happen? It's probably not going to be great. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Acceptance. How's that? Uh, but also appreciation, if you can. If you can find it in you, even for the ones that have turned, try. Happy Thanksgiving. I'll be doing a live talk with Cliff Nesteroff about his new book, Outrageous, at the New York Public Library on Wednesday, November 29th. It's a free event, and you can go in person or watch the live stream. Go to nypl.org slash events. My Los Angeles dates. I'm at Dynasty Typewriter on December 1st, 13th, and 28th, The Elysian on December 6th, 15th, and 22nd, and Largo on December 12th and January 9th. There's, I heard a rumor that uh, Ellen DeGeneres might want to do a spot on my show in January. Then in 2024, I'm in San Diego at the Observatory North on Saturday, January 27th for two shows, San Francisco at the Castro Theater on Saturday, February 3rd. On February 4th, I'll be hosting McCabe and Mrs. Miller at the Roxy Theater in San Francisco. Um, go find that. Portland, Maine at the State Theater on Thursday, March 7th. Medford, Massachusetts outside Boston at the Chevalier Theater on Friday, March 8th. Providence, Rhode Island at the Strand Theater on Saturday, March 9th. And Terrytown, New York at the Terrytown Music Hall on Sunday, March 10th. Go to WTFPod.com slash tour for tickets. Woo, man, right? So look, folks, who's on the show today? Dr. Elliot Kane. Dr. Elliot Kane is on the show today. Now, how do I want to preface this? Now, I've talked about this guy before. Dr. Elliot Kane is my optometrist. He's got a practice in Highland Park. It's got a hand painted front sign on the. It's it's a very um, uh, cozy uh, office he's got there on York, and he's got jazz records in the windows. And I remember I got referred to him maybe by my, uh, uh, my, the ladies I buy glasses from over at society, of spectacle, but I went to this guy and he was a character. He talks like a jazz guy, you know, and he's like, yeah, man, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. And it turns out he's a jazz trumpeter and he was pretty serious about it. And he's still pretty serious about it. And he played, he plays gigs. I went to see him twice 
He's done session work around town. He's still locked into the jazz thing. But ultimately, he's my optometrist. But I thought this would be an interesting episode. I don't usually do this type of episode. So, you know, I, I finally got around to doing it. He, he's an Indianapolis Jew jazz trumpeter. And he comes up around a lot of jazz. And it was an interesting sort of look back into the world of the 60s, uh, into the jazz world of Indianapolis, into uh, just a life, you know, making that decision. Some of us make in our lives to, uh, to, to kind of um, sideline our dreams, to have a little bit of security with the hope that we still pursue those dreams. Sometimes those dreams stay paramount in our minds as the priority, but they just don't have the uh, space needed to be that. But uh, nonetheless, you know, you, you do it. You go at it. And this guy's a serious jazz bow, man. Now, a couple of things. We talk a lot, and I mentioned Ben Sidrin. Um, uh, now, Ben Sidrin is a jazz pianist that I've had on the show years ago. He's also a jazz historian and a great guy. He's out of uh, Madison, uh, Ben Sidrin. A lot of records, a lot of books. Also, another thing I want to clear up, or, or at least you know, set up, um, we both mention uh, Mark Summers from the Nickelodeon show Double Dare and the Food Network, who I've had on. Is a, he's a character. But he mentioned to me when I talked to him that he grew up with Elliot Kane, Dr. Kane. And uh, Elliot Kane, Dr. Kane, calls him Mark Berkowitz. And he was, like, uh, he was, uh, he was on my show. And they mention each other. And I just want to get those things uh, out there before you listen to it. So, you know, it's not confusing. Sometimes we get going or I get going with a guest and we just go, man. But that's sort of the, the lowdown on Elliot Kane. And to me, as somebody who's like sort of an aspiring jazz appreciator, uh, and that's a deep rabbit hole, um, you know, I just wanted to, to see how it would go. Like, he's my optometrist, man. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you can go to ElliotKane.com. That's Elliot with two L's and two T's and Kane, C-A-I-N-E. You can check out his work and his future gigs there. He plays around town. He plays in Highland Park sometimes. And this is me talking to my jazz optometrist, Dr. Elliot Kane. <laughs> Wanna wear the headphones? Sure. Do it. Like you're recording a, a record. Right. I'm, I'm overdue, way overdue. When was the last one? I think I had I think I had the last one on CD. The last CD I had was uh yeah, Hippie Chicks on Acid, which was 2011. Yeah. I've written some new tunes lately. It, it's just it's just uh, uh time, man. I needed to clone myself, you know. Yeah, sure. Yeah, man. It's where are you playing though? Where's the uh, weekly gig? Okay, it just just one of them just ended today. I got noticed today. At what the, do you mean you got noticed? <clears throat> a premature ending? Well, I've been there for 15 months, a year and three months. It's at the Roosevelt, Hollywood Roosevelt. And what they did is they redid the restaurant. It had been one of those Nancy Silverton restaurants. Fancy? Yeah, right. And, and they made it more like a, I think they're making it more like a, what do you call it, a bistro type of thing. And the wall that separates the lobby where I play yeah. and the, is 
is, I think is gone or a lot of it's gone. And so yeah. the, the sound, it, it's, it's too loud for the diners, oh. apparently. Coming through. That's what I heard. He, uh, the, the director called me this morning, just this morning, told me they had a, a, like a duo playing the other night, guitar and bass maybe, and that was too loud. And my group's a four-piece group with, with, wow. with, with um, dr- you know, uh, me on trumpet, then piano, bass, drums. But I, I'm at the York this Sunday. I have my monthly gig at the York. Sunday. That, that, how long has that been going on for? Year, long, except for like a year of the pandemic, it's it's been going on since probably about 2015 that's where i i uh, i kind of knew you were a musician <laughs> was at the york i mean i i can't remember exactly when i got hip to you as a musician but i, I think i went to you as an optometrist first i think so i remember <laughs> seeing you at the york with uh, uh some lady friend of yours man and, sure and and um that was before we, we were just setting up. And yeah. So I got the gig at the York every usually every third Sunday. Yeah. And then I play a, a trio gig at uh, a little dive bar in Long Beach called the Wrigley Tavern. That's a drive. It, it's it's a schlep. Yeah. It's yeah. A, it's a drive. <laughs> and but it's every Saturday night and it's not a high paying gig. We get tips. That makes it a decent. We get pretty good tips there. So uh, it's just me, guitar, and uh, and bass. Just playing jazz standards, and and my my thing there as well as has been as the Roosevelt is, I I memorize everything. I, yeah. I, I'm really, I I hate to see cats, decent musicians, their noses buried. Just read yeah. a simple, effing chart. So you you remember you memorize the classics. Yes. So when you riff, you riff. Oh yeah, yeah. You just talk. It, 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 it was funny because I uh you know, I knew I was going to talk to you, and. Uh, I, uh, you know who Ben Sidron is? Yes. Sure. So, because I figure, you know, I, I, I'd hit up, I'd, I'd text Ben because he's in, where is he? He's in Minnesota, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, he's up in, that. he's in, uh, Ma- no, he's Wisconsin. He's in Madison. That's okay. where Ben is. Okay. So I figured, like, and he came up around that area. He came up in Chicago. I figured he's, maybe he'd know Elliot Kane <laughs> from Indianapolis, the great <laughs> Jasmine from Indianapolis. Right. And he sure. said, so, uh. Uh, I said, do you know Elliot Kane? He says, uh, uh, I checked Elliot out. Dig his bent tone and the blue note vibe. Oh. Not hip to him, but some of his tunes sound a bit uh, like Blakey, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm definitely influenced by the jazz messengers. <laughs> Lee Morgan, you know. Yeah, we talked about Lee Morgan. But, like, yeah. let's go back, though, because I talked to a guy you grew up with. Uh, that guy. Oh, Mark. Yeah. Mark uh, Berkowitz. Mark Summers. Mark Berkowitz, yeah. yeah. Yeah, And I was so thrilled that, you know, he knew you. It was a trip, man. And yeah. that they're like, because, look, I grew up in New Mexico, right? So that's a, like, you, you kind of knew the Jews. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So, and I know there was, like, a swath of uh, of uh, sort of upper Midwestern Jews that came over at some time. You know, like, Dylan is, uh, you know, he's oh, yeah. a, a Minnesota Jew. Right. And uh, I knew there were But what was the scene in Indianapolis? Not not musically but jew wise when you were coming up jew well i came up in the 1960s you know and uh, i the neighborhood i grew up in was not particularly a, a so called jewish neighborhood what right? your what what, was, what business was your dad in he had a little drugstore downtown indianapolis okay it was next door it first cat a corner but then it, it eventually became he moved it a half block yeah. it was next door to a burlesque parlor sure and on the other side of of my uh, dad's little drugstore was uh, a bar called Frida's Golden Nugget. Uh-huh. And so <laughs> I was raised in, in kind of a, I call it a waspy neighborhood. Yeah. A few Jewish families, mostly not, definitely all white. And, Indiana wasps. Yeah, yeah, which is another story, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, Dan Quayle and sure. so forth. Mike Pence. Mike Pence, oh, another one. <laughs> <laughs> I saw your routine, by the way, with Mike Pence. I thought it was excellent. Thank you, yeah. Anyway, um, so down t- I used to help my dad, starting like age seven or eight, you know, I used yeah. to, at underage selling liquor, I knew all the wine, I knew all the liquor, yeah. cigarettes, you know, used to sell for 28 cents a pack, by the way, cigarettes. 28, man. Back in the 60s, yeah, and so... And I met a, 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 a much wider demographic, let's say, you know, different people of different nationalities, different skin colors. Because of the neighborhood. Because of the neighborhood. It was, it was uh, two blocks from the bus station, uh, downtown Indianapolis. Oh, wow. So, so he sold, like, so it was more of a, like, it, he sold everything. It was a drugstore, but, you know, they had what, you know, liquor and food and cigarettes. And- but not so much food, maybe ice cream. You know, yeah. it was a one-man drugstore, one person, yeah. and I would help him. Uh, um, and you'd see the characters, you know, characters from the bottom of society to yeah. the local celebrities, let's say, you know, and, and some of the people who were down and out winos were yeah. the most interesting people for me. You well, know? yeah, I mean, it's like, it's interesting when you're a kid, like my grandfather owned a hardware store in New Jersey in like a little town, New Jersey. And there were these guys, there were like these four, these five old men that used to just hang around the hardware store sure. talking and, you know, as a kid, I just, you know, there's something about these guys where you're like, how did it happen? What's, where, why is he like that? I want to talk to him. And he just, I was always kind of attracted to the, those guys to hear what they had to say or where they've been. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it's interesting stuff. Like, there'd be a number, uh, a few guys, I remember their names, too. One you guy, do? Oh, of course, man. There were two black guys. One yeah. guy's name was Yankee, and the other was Dennis. <laughs> Yankee. <laughs> Yankee. And, and there would be the pawn shops there, which were owned by our fellow Yids, you know, yeah. and um, they would pick up some Yiddish, so they would talk to my dad, these throw Yiddish phrases at my dad, you know, <laughs> these guys, they were, you know, unfortunately, they were winos, they, yeah. they had issues, man, you know. Uh, Yankee was uh, throwing around some Yiddish? Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, this mocks too, baby, you know, this kind of stuff, man, you know, and so, and, and uh, I would go to lunch uh, uh, at some restaurants, actually, an uncle of mine owned a restaurant a few yeah. blocks away, and... Uh, and on the way there, there was an abandoned storefront that was occupied by gypsies. Huh. And they and and when I walked past them, I'd be you know ten years old or whatever. And this woman, she would come here, little boy. I'll tell you a fortune. Yeah. And so my dad said, "You never go in there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> never go in there." And but, so this is what year? Early sixties. Early to late sixties, yeah. You're in your teens then. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so your your folks spoke Yiddish in the house a bit when they didn't want me to understand. Right. Where were they from? My father was originally from Lafayette, Indiana, and his immigrant family, his older siblings, were from uh, Europe. And then my mother uh, uh, was they, from Indianapolis. They were from Im- an immigrant family from uh, you don't know where in Eastern Europe. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, my father was from the U- father's family from the Ukraine near the Polish border. Yeah, and my mother Galicia. Uh, close. Yes, I would say it was probably. It was never said that way, but his Yiddish was different than my mother's yeah. Yiddish. My mother's family was from uh, near Kiev. Uh huh. Yeah, my I got the I got that. I'm I'm from there. That half my my uh, my mother's lines. Uh, uh, Ukraine, Poland, kind of trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A place where you don't want to be right now. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's interesting how those borders have changed. I, I found out a lot about that stuff uh, about about where they came from because that, that guy had me on that show, that uh, Finding Your Roots show. 
Oh, far out. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah, what's it? He's from Harvard, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Professor Gates. That's right. Yeah, that's an interesting show. I didn't know you were on that, man. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, they tracked it all the way back, man. Like, I don't know how they do that, man. They ha- they got people. Yeah. I mean, they put the money into I don't know how they, they, they... Someone goes and checks those records. It's kind of wild. That's a fascinating show to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, Both your folks are Jewish? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Circumcised so, citizens. Yeah. Yes. Well, what, what was the scene, though, in, in terms of... Of Jews was there was because like, I mean Indiana is pretty white. Yeah, in yeah. Indianapolis, I've spent some time there. Yes, I do know that from last. Yeah, uh, yeah. The guy interviewed me by the way from the the public radio station there. He did because I yeah. what did, uh, did Kyle I did long did I turn him on to you or what? Yeah, <laughs> well he turned him onto me and he got curious about me and looked me up. Yeah, and he said he said that. Uh, uh, you did a good imitation of me. <laughs> so, but but um, it was it was a little strange. I mean, uh, um, I had to deal with some stuff growing up. Yeah, being Jewish. Yeah, yeah. I got in some fights. I got beat up one time. I remember. Uh, yeah. And uh, one time I beat some kid who was younger. We were on the school bus coming home, and and he, you know, he wouldn't shut yeah. up with with the Jew shit. You know. Yeah. I, I said, okay, let's get off. Yeah. He wanted to fight. And, God, I, I mean, I knocked this fool down. Yeah. I kind of left it there because I, I didn't want to really hurt him. Yeah, I yeah. just wanted to say, you know, shut up. Stand with up your, for yourself. Your shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Um, but was there a big Jewish community? You know, <laughs> me and Mark Berkowitz. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there was maybe Indianapolis, maybe 8,000 Jews, I yeah. would guess, growing up. Yeah. And a fair percentage were um, actually uh, Sephardic. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The prettiest girls were Sephardic girls. Yeah. And, uh, always. Yeah, always did. <laughs> and uh, some of my, we, we, I was brought up reform. Yeah, yeah. And some, so some of my. Oh, that, parents, ha- that, that existed then. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was reform. There was reform. And in, you know, the. Uh, so you could play jazz in the, in the temple. Yeah, you could actually. That happened. I didn't do it, but yeah. but Mark Berkowitz's older brother yeah. and my older brother one time played. His older brother is a drummer, and my older brother played piano. How many siblings you got? I have one older um, older brother and a younger sister. When do you start? Like it's the sixties, right? Yeah. How old are you in like sixty nine? Uh, in October, I turned eighteen. All right, so it's all happening. It's hard. I didn't know jazz. I loved playing trumpet, like band music, orchestra music. When did you start doing that? Oh, when I was probably eleven in sixth grade. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, but the the world, the the country's coming apart at the seams. Right. Sixty nine. You feel that? Oh, big time. Well, we, you know, we we're liberal. My parents were liberals. Sure. You know, I radicalized in college. I mean, I was a, I got into Marxism. Yeah. Big time, and I was what in, college. Indiana U, Indiana Okay, University. so that was happening on campus. That was happening. I f- first was, I think my freshman year or so, I was involved with the Farm Workers Support Committee. In Indiana? Yeah, in Indiana. And what, yeah. what did they do? Well, they were urging boycotts of, of scab uh, lettuce and scab grape. You okay, know? yeah. And uh, I also was involved in the anti-war movement, too. I sure. wasn't an organizer at that point, but I would just take... I, I got radicalized. At first, with Vietnam, I was trying to ignore it, you know, when I was in high school, you know, it's a bad thing, but, you know... Um, you didn't get your number picked, huh? I My draft number was 166, so that was good enough not to be in the draft, huh. not not to be... Yeah, How did that draft. work? 
you just you picked it's like a lottery man you just pick a number one to, one through 365 or 366 so or okay so they pull uh, up to a certain number from each bunch yes right and yeah. so mine 160 i'll never forget that 166 got me out of the, the man you left out I was lucky, yeah. I was but you were on campus and there was a lot of action going on? Yeah, Indiana, it, in, Indiana U had a, a pretty, as conservative as the state is, uh, um, had a pretty uh, active anti-war movement and r- radicalization. There were several Marxist parties, left parties, uh, But it's interesting that you frame it as being radicalized. I mean, it was, you know, it's interesting that what's going on now in this country and what's going on in colleges and in schools and everything else is still a reaction to that. It, it, to the, the late '60s, yeah, yeah. The, what they called the the Viet, Vietnam syndrome or the Vietnam effect, something uh-huh. like that. No, to this day, there's there's a lot of uh, wariness and, and cynicism of the government. That are they liars? Yeah, but there's also a bunch of uh, right wingers saying that you know, we're fighting communism. That you know that liberals are commies. Yeah, right. That, which is totally ridiculous. But they set that frame when you like when in the '60s. Right, right. Well, it you know they're. There was different levels people yeah. went to. Sure. You know, like some people, a lot of people, probably most people say, oh, you know, we have a great government. Vietnam was just a little mistake we sure. made, you know. Yeah. And for me, it wasn't that. It was, this is this is part of the the, the sickness of the system is, yeah. is, is neocolonialism, right, sure. you know. And so... Um, I, I got into. Uh, so you, you got dug in. You, I, yeah. I got into reading a lot of Leon yeah. Trotsky sure, and yeah. Lenin and people, yeah. people like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And how did that? Uh, 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 what effect did that have? How long did that stick? Did you finish college? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. Eventually, I, I. Yeah, it was a lot of things going on, and I, I got into jazz music at that time. I got in, in interested into my own ethnic history, into Jewish history. Yeah. For one thing, I was wondering why why were all these famous commies. Jews, you know. What'd you find out? Well, I found out more about them. You know, why Why was the radicalization happening in Eastern Europe and why did it carry over to the Americas, you know? Yeah. And also I got very interested in African-American history too. There were some, definitely some, some parallels. Yeah. You know, and I, I read a lot of, uh, 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 about Malcolm X and yeah. Malcolm X's autobiography, of course. You know? Yeah, and yeah. you and you probably remember, you know, certainly when Bobby Kennedy got a shot, right? I was in high school then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty devastating. That was the same year Martin Luther King got shot, right? It or was around just, then. Yeah, it was yeah. A, a month or two after that. Yeah, I can't even imagine really with the the country as connected as it was through you know one device and everybody getting the same information. How insane that must have landed. All of that. It it was. Yeah, it was. It was. It was pretty crazy. And I was. I was still in high school. I was still, you know, a good liberal Jewish boy. You yeah. know, but um, it was not till later on that I. Uh, you started to think, why did they get killed, and who was, uh, you know, part of the? What, what's wrong with the system? Yeah, not that Bobby Kennedy was particularly a radical, but no, yeah, it seemed like he was. Um, Definitely coming out more and more against the war in Vietnam, and he seemed to be uh, supported, particularly farm workers. He was supportive of. So yeah, I give him credit for that. You know. Sure. So where does this all lead you ultimately? What kind of degree you end up with? Well, I got a bachelor of what science or arts? I yeah. don't know. In psychology, actually, is my undergraduate degree. No shit. No shit. So like, so your point, like, what, where, where's the jazz coming from, and for you, and in, in the middle of. Uh, you know, radicalization and hippiness, what are you being exposed to? Okay, so my freshman year, uh, I saw the 
the je- the main jazz instructor uh, uh, at Indiana University was named yeah. David Baker, who was yeah. from Indianapolis, African American guy, and yeah. pretty brilliant guy. And I saw his group perform. Yeah, and I'd already started listening. At school, to, yeah, at school on campus, and I, I'd already started listening. There, and my dorm library had uh, some LPs by Miles Davis. I remember um, Birth of the Cool as well as Round About Midnight. And, yeah. and then they had the Clifford Brown Memorial album. And probably 95% of it was over my head. But I, I dug it. You know, there was something about what, it. What do you mean by over your head? Well, I'm used to listening to rock and roll. You know, I'm used to listening. I mean, I'm a big Brian Wilson fan. I love Brian Wilson. So that you know? was your, the Beach Boys were your guys? Oh, I love the Beach Boys. And what, what else were you listening to in college? Did your brother turn you on to shit? Uh. Yeah, to an extent. That was later on. Uh, you know, he had a, I remember, I think he had a Thelonious Monk album, and that was definitely over my head at the time. It's interesting because, like, you know, I, like I, when I started listening to jazz, and even now, I don't really necessarily know what I'm listening to. I know what the, I, I know blues structure and whatnot. Right. But whether it was over my head or not, I think that either you've got a brain that digs it or doesn't. Right. Like you know, I'm I you know I can still listen to plenty of jazz. I don't really know what's going on, right. but I can I can roll with it. Right. Like right. I know like because I I have a cousin that literally can't listen to jazz because it makes her anxious. <laughs> a number of people like that. Yeah. 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 So, but like the rock music at the time was pretty exciting, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was. You know. You, I don't know if you've seen those documentaries on the uh, what, the Laurel Canyons. Yeah, and, sure, and that sure. Stuff. Yeah, that was it was an awakening in America that time. Yeah. not just music, a lot of stuff. But even the know. Beatles, you must remember the Beatles they, happening. Yeah, the Beatles, the Beach Boys, Beatles, they evolved. They 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 you know from the early blues, just blues sure. and stuff. That they, they got into some pretty heavy stuff. Yeah, you but you're kind of a bluesy guy. <laughs> I like the blues. Man. <laughs> yeah, I like the blues. I mean, there's a. a you know how music hits you sometimes. I mean, my first jazz record I bought was Kind of Blue by sure. Miles Davis. And how can you not like that, man? Yeah. You know, you know, so that was a good introduction for me. And then uh, probably the second album I bought was by the the great Lee Morgan. You know, it was called Search for the New Land. You know, Best. Yeah, Lee was fantastic. So after you saw Baker play at the school, uh-huh. you you lit up? That well, was it? Well, I started, his, his trumpet player was a very good trumpet player. Uh, uh, not a Jewish guy. Uh, a Jewish guy? Yeah, Larry Wiseman. Oh, yeah? And he, he became almost like a big brother to me for a while. Yeah, he was a really good lead player and very good jazz player. So you approached him and you were just sort of like... Yeah, can I get a lesson with you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so, yeah, he charged me $5 a lesson. Five bucks. Yeah. I just paid $200 for a guitar lesson two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, times have changed, Times man. have changed, man. But I got a video with it. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, he was a real good guy, you know, and he was a good teacher. And so, and I got interested in the jazz scene, and you get into in the jazz, not only jazz history, but that also overlaps with kind of African American history too, yeah. you know. So yeah, it was a it was a wake up. Well, now me. when like so you're in college, you know, and I know that you know Indianapolis all all towns have their little uh, pockets of 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 whatever, and and jazz is a pretty specific pocket right. so was there a place when you're like you know 18 where you could go like hang out yeah like maybe about a year or, or so later my sophomore year i was practicing in the music building just just another saturday night without a date yeah and i'm in the music room practicing trumpet trying to figure out how to play over chord changes and I knock on the door in the practice room and it was a, a trumpet player yeah uh, african-american player and, yeah uh, and 
He says, I hear what you're trying to do and blah, blah, blah. Let me help you with this. And we became friends. He, he was older. He was five years older than I, I, I was. And he had been to Vietnam. He played, uh, uh, he'd, he's from Cincinnati originally, but he, he knew the, the ghetto jazz scene. Yeah. And at that time, it still existed, you know. In Indianapolis. In Indianapolis. Yeah, there was, he took, I remember him taking me to a club called The Hubbub. Yeah. And The Hubbub had pictures of the greats from Indianapolis on the walls, like pictures of Freddie Hubbard. He's from Indianapolis? Oh, yeah. No shit. Yeah. And uh, I did a gig with his brother once. His brother was a piano player named Ermin Hubbard. Yeah. Really nice piano player. Yeah. And then the Montgomery's, West Montgomery. No and, kidding. And his, and his brothers, all from Indianapolis. J.J. Johnson. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, Larry Ridley, a great bass player who's still alive. And, oh, a lot of cats. Yeah. And so he took me to these places that were still, they still had these jazz afternoon matinees where young people like myself could sit in and make fools of ourselves oh yeah yeah but it was good training like man. an open stage you had a band that would kind of lock in and then guys would come up typically it would be like an organ trio so it'd be uh b3 organ with uh guitar and drums mm -hmm. and yeah they, they'd play certain tunes and then the, maybe the second set they'd open it up and you could sit in you know and b3 like jimmy smith yeah just like jimmy smith yeah okay those guys, Charles Erland, Jimmy Smith. So you're going there. You like what? Nineteen? Yeah. And you know, and you're you're taking jazz lessons, or you're, you're trying to figure it out. What's the process of figuring out jazz? Boy. Like in just terms of basics, you know what I mean? I'd say uh, uh, one thing is trying to learn the tunes. Best to try to learn the tunes from the records if yeah. you can. And then try to learn the solos, mm. you know, and then try to pick apart the chords. Yeah. And then, I mean, that's that's not really easy. And there's no YouTube. So you're sitting there with a record dropping the needle every, you know, every two seconds. Ruining uh, many LPs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah stop, stop the tape with your hands, you know. Yeah. And are you listening uh, who primarily to Lee? Lee and Miles. Yeah. And to this day, those are my two favorites, too, to this day. So now, so you're going around, what's this cat's name, the trumpet player? Who was Marcus it? Brown was his name. Uh, yeah. yeah. How, how was he? Good? He was a good player. Kind of, I don't know if you know Blue Mitchell's style of I playing. do, yeah. Yeah, he kind of came out of that kind of Blue Mitchell school, and he got me my first professional gig. We, we played... Um, with a band, it was called uh, kind of an R and B band. It was Allison and Calvin Turner and the Sound Masters, <laughs> a very popular band in Central Indiana among yeah. uh, uh, certain people. Yeah. And my friend Marcus kind of was the most streetwise person I ever knew. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He 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 knew how to hustle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was he uh, uh, like what was the scene in terms of the of drugs? Well, you know, we didn't. I probably did a few things I shouldn't have yeah. done, but but I never got into anything real heavy. Never got it. strung out. No, no, no I so, never did. Yeah, because I, I, yeah, I knew it, people who did. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it's sort of fascinating to me that jazz culture, even as insulated as it was, you know, it you know it had a, it, obviously a huge impact on 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 society and music, but so many junkies, man. Yeah, right, right. You know, like you, you know, it, and I have to. You know, I interviewed Ron Carter. Oh, wow. And that yeah. dude, you know, like, he's on about 2,000 records. Yeah. You know, he's like the guy, the bass guy. Yeah, sure. And, you know, and he's and he's like, you know, uh, he, he carries himself, uh, you know, as like almost like a professor. Yeah. But like someone who commands respect and deserves respect. But he was always the guy. He was the straight one. Right. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, we didn't get too far into it. But it just seems to me that there were just hours and hours 
of you know either waiting for someone to show up or hoping they can fucking play. Right, right. Yeah, you read some biographies of these people, you know, and you didn't know whether. They, I think there's a recording session where Miles didn't even have a trumpet, you know, and someone had to bring him a beat up old trumpet or something. Yeah. to play the session. Yeah, yeah, and like Bill Evans. Yeah, I saw Bill Evans once, yeah. How was that, later in life? Yeah, it was when I was in Indiana U. Uh, my last year, probably 1975, 76, yeah. So he was in okay shape, no? Y- yeah, he was, uh, yeah, he was okay shape. It was a group with, uh, who was playing? Uh, Elliot Sigmund on drums. Yeah. And, uh, um, oh, shoot, who's the bass player? Uh, Eddie Gomez. Yeah, he was with Gomez for a while. Yeah, yeah. Was that great? It was wonderful. All right, so you go into so you're you're playing trumpet in an R and B band, basically. Yeah, but in those days there was a crossover between R and B and and jazz, and I even yeah. like for example, there's uh, I have a, a couple records by this B three player uh, uh, Lonnie Smith. Yeah, I know Lonnie Smith. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah. He passed away a year or so ago. A year or two yeah. ago. Anyway, uh, and I did at the time when I was playing with this. This Allison, Allison and Calvin Turner. Yeah, they would say someone called. Yeah, let's do the Lonnie Smith thing, and I, I had no idea what it was. It was only until I bought the records. Oh, this is what we used to play. You know, you so know. So that's interesting though, because like I never thought about it like that. But like B three is the crossover. Yeah, yeah, for like, sure. Because that groove, it's it's way before the edge of jazz improvisation. It it, it kind of grounds you in, in kind of a, a post-gospel funk You're, groove. Yeah, it comes out of the church, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Huh. There's one uh, CD I have called The Turning Point, which is pretty cool. They do a version of Eleanor Rigby, and then... Yeah, uh, I, have, I have that record. And then I have an LP called Think that came out of the same session with Lonnie Smith. Yeah, I have, the, I have those records. Yeah, with, yeah. With Lee Morgan and David Fathead Newman. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful music, man. Yeah, yeah well, that's it's kind of interesting. So, like, you know, despite whatever you, you might you might realize it now, but that was pretty good training to sort of get you into advanced bebop, right, eventually? Oh, it, I thought, yeah, I, I, it was invaluable. Yeah, yeah. It was wonderful. And you were doing, were you doing a lot of gigs? Uh, you, know, you know, it was... Boy, that was like winter vacation, you know? Oh, yeah, all right. But I was sure. working, God, I remember I was working a horrible job uh, in a shoe warehouse, you know, oh, in wow. wintertime, you know, yeah. Christmas vacation. And that got me out. <laughs> that got me out of that, you know, and and it made some money playing music going down to Florida. And then we did some gigs in central Indiana and in, in, in some Yeah, well, so, so what's your old man think about, you know, his Marxist jazzbo <laughs> My parents at first were very overprotective of me, you know, with yeah. that stuff. You know, what are you doing? What are you doing? And but then after I played, you know, at least semi-professionally, they would brag to all their friends. Oh yeah, my my son's doing this. My son's doing this. And then yeah. you know, you know, and after I um, came out to California in the '90s, I was playing with a, a pretty well-known ska band, and we we went to Japan quite a few times, you know. And they would, my mom would, of course, was the bragger, you know. Yeah, she would tell her friend, oh, yeah, know. yeah, and her friends would go like, what band? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> ska, yeah, yeah, <laughs> middle-class Jewish women digging ska, right? So you, so you back at school after you do this run with the Turners, are any of the the big guys, your heroes, coming through? I saw, uh, yeah, yeah. Does well, Freddie still, is he have still a family there? Is Hubbard coming in? Uh, he came to Indiana U. I saw him at, at IU when I was a sophomore. I saw How, that, how was that? It was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I, I, God, I was 19 years old, and yeah, Freddie was 
happening, really yeah. happening. Yeah. And uh, then in Cincinnati, where I had family, they had this the Cool Jazz Festival. That was the Cool Cigarette Company. It was one of George Wine's things. So I went three years in a row, age 18, 19, and 20. The first year, among other people, Cannibal, yeah. Cannibal Adderley's group. Oh. And then the second year, Lee Morgan's group. Really? You saw Lee Morgan? I got Yeah, six months before he was killed. Yeah, I saw Lee. And then, How was that? Uh, it was fantastic. It was yeah. beyond words. Yeah. And, you know, and then uh, the last year I went, I saw a group that an all-star group put together and it had Thelonious Monk. Come on! Yeah, wonderful, huh? Now, like, what? Now, like, what was the audience for jazz then? Well, I mean, were these big, big crowds? Yeah, it was a pretty big crowd. It was in the baseball stadium. Mostly black or no? Mostly black. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was in the baseball stadium in, in Cincinnati, and. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So so you get you, you finish out college, but you're practicing all the time. I'm practicing. Yeah, I had a few gigs throughout my college career, even including being in optometry school. And um, yeah, what was that decision? So you know, <laughs> you're coming out of college with your psychology degree and your your politics and your trumpet. And what do you what are you thinking? I'm thinking I got to make a friggin' living, man. You know, <laughs> and 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 my parents. I told my parents I was. I got a lot of encouragement from various music teachers at IU, professors at IU. To be, what? To be a music major. Oh, I thought you said to be an optometrist. <laughs> yeah. Right. So so uh, I told my parents I wanted to change my major to music, and yeah. they said that's fine. You'll just pay your way through college. This is undergrad. Undergrad, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought, and then I, I did a, there were a lot of interesting discussions I had, right? Yeah, like with, what? My, with them? my parents. Yeah. yeah, there was some spirited discussions. So so they, they held that over there. They weren't going to pay if you did something, yeah. what they saw as irrational. And I, you know, I mean, looking back, I see their point. They're from poor immigrant families, yeah. you know. Sure. And, and, they're, fr- uh, they're nervous for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And my and my older brother, who was more the straight-A student than I was, uh, he abandoned all that stuff and be- he was pre-med. He started pre-med and then he, he said, screw that. And he majored in English, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He, what does he do? What does he do? He's retired now. Uh, I don't, we don't talk to each other very much. Oh, that's too yeah. bad. It is too bad. But was he an academic? He taught high, he wound up teaching high school and junior college English. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Literature, you know? Huh. So, uh, uh, so a lot of pressure was on me. Yeah, you, you better you, you better you, stick with something. You're gonna be the Jew doctor. Yeah, yeah. So so I, I talked to a grad student at IU, someone who was a good friend of Freddie Hubbard, by yeah. the way. His name is Don Don Pickett. Yeah. Don had written some tunes for Freddie that Freddie yeah. recorded, and and Don said to me, man, you know, it doesn't matter what you major in. If you want to be a, a musician, you'll be a musician. You'll do it. You'll find a way to do it. And so that really stuck with me. You know, it's just like um, learn not to waste time, whether it be you know, watching television or yeah. watching stupid stuff on, on the internet or, yeah. or wasting your time with people who are a drag on you, yeah. you know? So, so, um, I learned to be really efficient with my time, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I practice that, that trumpet every day, man. And only if I'm sick, really sick, but I put in one to three hours a night, you know, sometimes I don't. Now? Oh yeah. Huh. I mean, I go to bed till one in the morning, two in yeah. the morning, but, but yeah, I, I got to play through some of my, my stuff on trumpet, man. Yeah, that's what Sidron said, you know, because I said you were my optometrist, and he said, "Well, he kept his lip in shape." Yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> you got to on trumpet. You can't. You, 
you know, at least I have to. Yeah, I'll put it that way. Yeah, well, no, I imagine you have to. I, I don't even. I don't even know what it takes in terms of the, the mouth and the trumpet. It takes consistency. I mean, let's say if I laid off for a week and I came back and I had to do a gig, I'd be good for maybe a couple tunes, and then after that, my my lip would be for shit. You know? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. You gotta keep it like we worked out. It's yeah. You gotta you gotta keep it worked out, and you know what's. What is very cool, at least my experience with trumpet, is you learn every time. Every time I pick up that horn, I'm I'm into learning something new about this thing. And my my technique has gotten a lot better in the last last couple of years. Well, I think yeah. you know, I think that's true. Like I was not, you know, I'm not much of a guitar player, but like I kept, you know, learning. Right. And then all of a sudden, like it's like with instruments, like no matter how old you are, one little thing could open up a whole other world. Oh, big time. It's a weird thing, man. It, you it know, is. it's like writing, you know, like if you're writing every day and you're kind of, you know, you're locked in, you learn things about yourself and you go places you never thought you would. Big time. And you may go through d- down periods as well as up periods and you may get frustrated and want to throw the damn horn against the wall or yeah. whatever, man, you know. But, yeah, the main thing is, to, is if you want it, you do it, you know? Yeah, and, and I think the thing about jazz is that, like, obviously, you know, the audience for it is specific and probably smaller than it was at its beginning. Oh, for sure. Right? But, but I mean, but that is the nature of that racket, right? So, like, you know, the pressure of, uh, you know, selling out a fucking theater is not on you. The pressure is to deliver the goods, right? It's to deliver the goods. I mean, and, and in the local club scenes, scene here in L.A., I mean, they'll, the, who's ever booking the music will say, well, how many people do you think you can bring in? So, yeah. I don't freaking know how many yeah. people. You know, I mean, sometimes I get a really great crowd. At the York, I usually get a really good crowd. But, yeah, some places, man, you know, you don't. And so, But uh, you got people? Yeah, I got people who follow me. Yeah, I got yeah, that's cool. I got a, a fan base. Yeah. All right, so what? Okay, so what happens? You, you know, you, you, your your parents win the fight, and you decide on optometry because you, why? It was a reasonable amount of time it, to it, get a practical medical degree. Yeah, because uh, yeah, <laughs> I have to say the reason I, I did optometry as opposed to straight ahead medicine, let's say, is because. Uh, I didn't want to do the residency yeah. in the hospital and blah, 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 blah. You know, you do four years of medical school, and then you got to spend yeah. another two years in the hospital. Yeah, I thought, well, I could do optometry. I had a decent science background. My grades were okay, you know? And so uh, let me do this. And so most of my opto- – until I, I opened my office in Highland Park in '09. But most of my career, I just worked part time. I worked three days a week. So okay, so you tell know? me what happens. Your point, you 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 you're still you know you haven't put together a band yet after college. No, no, I had not. And then you go like directly to optometry school uh, in Indiana. Yeah, I went to IU School of Optometry. So I was seven years at Indiana total. So that was a three year program. No, it's actually four, but uh, I I got in after my third year. Okay, and I did, did did take some summer school classes too to you know make up. And all through it, you're playing, you're hanging out at the uh, at, on Indianapolis Avenue, and well, you know, Indiana. Indiana U's in Bloomington, Indiana. So at 50 miles. South oh, holy of shit! Of course I know that. I, yeah. I play Bloomington like once a year. I, there's a little club up there that I I go work out at. Okay, that's a weird little town, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, because you got the college, and then you got whatever surrounds it. Well, I tell you, <laughs> one time in the '60s, we're yeah. driving driving back from Bloomington. I we had either dropped my brother off at school or we visited him, and we're driving back about 20 miles north of of. Uh, uh, Bloomington is a little town called Martinsville, and, and yeah. I, I saw a burning cross there. Right? Come you know, on, man! It's serious. 
I couldn't believe my eyes. I thought I was dreaming. But I looked out there, and on a hillside about maybe a half mile away, yeah, there's a burning cross. Yeah. Lord I, have mercy. I, I tell you, every time I go to Bloomington, I, it, there's something weird about it. <laughs> you know, because I know the school's there, and it seems like I'm always there when school's out. Uh-huh. Like I'm going during the summer. Yeah. So there's a few kids around. But the club, I get a good pull. I get a good draw there. It only seats like 150 maybe. But but it's just a vibe there. You know, when when the students are out there, you've got the, the locals, whatever that is. And then you got the people that have been, you know, living around the college for the last 30 years. Oh, yeah, eternal students, you know. Yeah, like, and then you got like, tweakers whatever. on the perimeter. Yeah, right. Yeah, the, right. It's a thing, and they, they, they switch that train track. You know, you can walk along that. That track now, there's a there, there's a chunk of track that's not functional anymore. Oh, in Bloomington, huh? Yeah, and oh. they've made it like a walk, and there's some hip shit going on. Yeah, yeah, there was some good stuff. I have friends to this day, you know, that yeah. I made in college. Yeah, and uh, we keep in touch, and and uh, I had yeah, I had some fun times, man. You know. So what happens after optometry school? So uh, I had uh, I took. I was I needed to take my board examination, so I took Indiana board yeah. examination because my home state. I pretty much knew I didn't want to be living in Indiana, though, you know, and I was either going to live in New York or yeah. else California. For and, the music. Yeah, for music and just in general, yeah. the vibe, let's say, yeah. too, you know. And I, so I couldn't take my New York vibes because a New York exam because it, it, it uh, uh, coincided with the Indiana exam, but uh, I could take the California exam. Yeah. So I wound up here and I, with the idea that, oh, in a year I'll, I'll, I'll take the New York uh, uh, state board. But in the meantime, I met the woman who became my first wife, yeah. you know, and I was getting a life here. And, and where, in California? Yeah. So when did you move out here? Uh, fall of 76. So you've been out here a while, man. So yeah. your folks had come out here too, or they came out later I, after you they got came, married? They came out here three years after I did. Because you got, what, did you have a kid? Not yet. Oh, but they th- saw it coming. <laughs> Maybe so. My, what happened? They they were going to tear down the building that my dad's drugstore was in, oh. and by that time he was in his sixties, you know, yeah. and, and he didn't want to start up a new business, you know. And yeah, they and they. My parents always liked California. So you lived in Highland Park in seventy six. Uh, seventy. I lived in Pasadena in seventy six, but Highland Park in seventy seven. No shit. No shit. Yeah. Different world then. It was a way different world. Yeah, it was a lot different. Yeah, it's all Latino, right? It was mostly Latino. Some I was, artists. Yeah, there were some artists here. There were some political people. Too, yeah, but I lived in a back house. Actually, I think I, I'm not sure where you're where you used to live in Highland Park, but I, I lived on a street called uh, Stratford near Avenue 51. Yeah, and uh, I lived in a back house, which was perfect for a single guy, yeah. you know, and. Uh, I remember across the street there was this uh, paraplegic drug dealer. Yeah, <laughs> it was you know. Yeah, it, wow, it, interesting. And um, I'm, I'm assuming he had some help. <laughs> yeah, he had some help. <laughs> some good help. Yeah, and um, that was cool for a while until in the front house was a family. Kind of, a, I thought they were old, but they were probably in their mid thirties then. Yeah. And and the and the the wife used to flirt with all the young guys around there, and yeah. the husband would be really really jealous, man. Yeah. And, oh yeah. And he he uh, kind of threatened me one time, and I w- I had nothing to do with his wife, yeah, of course. Well, yeah, you but know. you just don't want to be in the in the uh, the sights of that. Exactly. So I, I you don't want to be a suspect. I, yeah, I don't want to be a suspect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dead or alive. But suspect. you're back there jamming. Yeah, I'm practicing. Yeah, and and apparently my landlord called me up one day and said a neighbor called and said that if he, the landlord, didn't do anything about the situation, which was me the playing trumpet, trumpet yeah. and he would do something about the situation. This other guy would do yeah. something. So I knew it was that f- 
the guy in the front house. So I yeah. moved. So by that time, I moved in with my first wife to be. We moved just uh, it uh, Rangeview in '56. Actually, yeah, yeah. We rented another back house, a little bit bigger back house, and we were wow. there for a few years. And then eventually, we bought a house in Highland Park. Eventually, yeah. yeah um, you still got it? No, it was sold because I I split up with my wife, right? And and, and she, she eventually sold it. Yeah, yeah. She got it, but then she sold it yeah. eventually too. You she know. sold it for like in, in when it was hot. She probably. God, yeah. I don't know how much she, she she did nothing like what it is now. She she sold it probably for a hundred grand. We bought it for seventy grand. Yeah, and just and you got a kid with her. Yes, yeah. He's in optometry school now, by the way. <laughs> yeah, he's in his, starting his fourth year. Yeah, in optometry school. So okay, so you're in Highland Park. You're in Los Angeles. There's a scene here. I don't know what it looks like in the seventies. But what did it look like when the, you were going out to find the jazz? Oh, the jazz scene? There were some cool clubs. Well, there was the Lighthouse, which yeah. was going pretty much full-time. And there was another club called Concerts by the Sea. Mm. That was uh, Redondo Beach. And I saw a lot of good people there as well. Yeah. So you're checked in. You're, you're just going. You're watching all the jazz. You're taking it in still. I was, I was like a kid in a candy store when I came to L.A. It was so much. And, and so how, how, what are you doing for work? I was working, I, I started maybe one year of full-time working for a, uh, an optometrist. Um, he was young, too. He was 32, 33 years old. My job interview with him was he, he, he pulls out a joint and says, do you do this? Yeah. <laughs> that was my job interview. <laughs> so I, it, was, it was good with him for a while, and then it eventually soured. And I worked, I, again, I, I, my main... I wanted to always be a good optometrist. I don't want to deny that. I was. This is my responsibility yeah. to to do right by people. But my main interest was was getting to be a good musician. You and know? did you what, did you get in with a band or what in the seventies or what? Okay, so I played with like garage bands, mostly like kind of Latino rock garage bands. Oh yeah, East, East LA bands. Yeah, so you were in that trip. Oh yeah, because I know on that first record, you know the two one from two thousand, Les Super Cool. That's it. I'm, I'm I'm in a car. I'm yeah, a, yeah, but that's uh, that opens with a salsa band. Yeah, yeah, it opens with a tune called Millennium Montuno, which, yeah. which was put on a uh, a jazz compilation CD. Oh yeah, yeah, put out by uh, a label. So, uh, so, but were you picking up that groove playing with the uh, Latino bands? Well, y yeah, a little later on because those bands were kind of more Latin rock bands, and they dabbled a little bit in what we might call salsa, you know. But it was later on. Um, I played with uh, some Puerto Rican bands, and I played with this Cuban uh, musician named Rudy Calzado, yeah. who wrote some tunes for Celia Cruz. Yeah, you know, I, I did some stuff with him, and then um, I went through some changes. I my older brother knocked my teeth out when I was a kid, uh, and uh, I, I, I've had teeth problems off and on, upper front teeth, you know, and so... Is that I, when the problem began? Well, it was hard for me to play high notes for a while, because, you know, in, in, the, in the, the salsa scene... He, he, he Chet Bakered you. He Chet Bakered me, <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> so I played with cumbia bands after that, and yeah. cumbia bands, usually the, the demand for high notes is not as much as the Cuban and Puerto Rican You adapted. Stuff. You adapted, yeah, and you, you know, and eventually build my chops back up, but every periodically, I've I've had to deal with that issue with my upper front teeth. Yeah, they're you know? good now, though. Yeah, they're good. Yeah, for about a year and a half now, it's good. No kidding. So yeah. it's really been a lifelong struggle. Yeah, yeah. It's, hang, and, and like the, it's and there's only one blame for that. Whatever, man. Yeah. You know, the past is the past. You know? Sure, man. So, so. But it's just interesting that you, whatever the trauma is, whether it's inside or outside, you carry it and you got to deal with it. You carry it. It's all on me. You yeah. know, I don't blame anyone. It's, yeah. it's, it's me. And But now I, I feel 
really good about my chops. So yeah. it just sounds like you're you're playing with whoever you can, whenever you can. You're staying active and engaged and keeping the, you know. Yeah, it's mostly my own group nowadays. I play with. When the, did you start your own group? The first one. Eventually, I mean, eventually, uh, originally, uh, kind of middle late nineties. Yeah. And I was playing with um, this ska group that was a Latin ska group was called Jump with Joey. Yeah. And we were kind of we were popular in Hollywood. We did a lot of Hollywood parties. Yeah. And. And I made contacts with some of the owners. So, like nights, I had I I would call the owner. Well, I'm getting a, a little jazz group together. Can I? Can you throw me a gig here and there? And, yeah. And so that's that's how I kind of got my thing going. And you've know? been playing with the same guys. It's a, it varies a bit, but I've had it, one of my bass players has played with me in the beginning. We used to play at a club called Lava Lounge. Yeah, I with an, that. With an acid jazz group together. Yeah. You know, what's acid jazz? How do you define that? Oh, it's kind of... Um, it's got a synthesized groove or what? Jazz mixed with funk and hip-hop okay, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. The thing I love about going to see you is the optometrist. Like you, you know, it, it's like, you know, York, the street is changing so much, but you still got that hand-painted front. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like a, a remnant <laughs> of what Highland Park used to be. You know? I'm a dinosaur, man. And no, no. It's <laughs> like, it looks good. You, it was clear that you got got the pulse on the neighborhood. I guess so, man. You yeah. know, I just do what comes natural. Sure. Man, you know? And you, you probably have, at this point, you know, been through, you probably have family people that come, that have been coming to you for years. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Some people, uh, particularly a lot of Latino families, yeah. they used to see me. I used to work at a health center about a mile from there. And they said, oh, you know, I speak Spanish pretty well, man. Yeah, and yeah. They, and they would talk to me and say, oh, doctor, so good to see you again. Uh, That's sweet. It's really sweet. Well, it's man. nice being like a neighborhood fixture in a way. Yeah. What yeah, do you think? Cool. How do you think the neighborhood's going? You like it? Yeah, the change? Well, yeah, I, I like it. I like it. I mean, it's more interesting. Um, there's some negative things. I mean, the rents have gone skyrocketing, yeah. you know, and and people who are just making you know, let's say, call it a working class income. Yeah, it's hard. It's tough, and, man. And, that, and it's you like, know. It, it, you know, gentrification's got, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 I, don't, I don't like it, man. You know, I mean, that's one of the reasons I, I kind of split because, you know, I, I feel that attention that, that I don't think I'm projecting, but there, there is attention to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there is. It didn't feel aggressive, but it felt, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I felt responsible because I talk it up, you know, but I lived in a box up there that was less than a thousand square feet. It was a nice little house. Right. But now it's like, you know, it's, I look on Zillow, it's like 1.2. Right, the house. I mean, the, what the fuck? The house that 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 uh, I had bought for seventy thousand dollars in the eighties is yeah on the market for a, a million dollars, man. I mean, that's bullshit, you know. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's capitalism. You know, it's this kind of investor capitalism, and yeah. it's just d driving everything. See, crazy. you're still a little radicalized. It's good. Oh, yo, I'm still a commie Jew, man. <laughs> yeah. No. Like, yeah. No, I I I went to Nicaragua in the nineteen eighties, man, when the revolution was happening. There. Yeah. Yeah, and. Uh, not that may, that may, doesn't mean I mean you play? hot shit or anything. <laughs> yeah. I think were I had you, my trumpet with me. I think I was practicing. Or Ortega's house band down there. Yeah, well, <laughs> he, he's gone. I don't know what he's he's gotten weird too, yeah. man. Yeah, he's uh, the power's gone to his head. Sure, I think, man. Yeah, know? I mean everybody sells out. I guess so. It's enough to make you cynical sometime, right? It very. I'm not completely cynical, man. I. Well, I mean, music uh, you keeps know, you a little less cynical. It keeps you. Less, there's there's still hope, man. You know, I you know it's. So how many records you got out now? My, on my on my of my own, I have four. Yeah, yeah, and then I I've been a sideman on quite a few records. And yours are all on iTunes. It's either Elliot Kane or the Elliot Kane what quintet or quintet yeah. or sextet whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, 
I, I, in the 90s, because I was playing with this, a few very popular bands, I, I, I played, uh, I'm on one record of uh, Beck. You know, yeah, Beck, sure. And I'm on one record of, who else? There's a band called Filter, actually. Yeah, I remember Filter. And th- that record went platinum, and so I got a platinum record at home, man. Did you get uh, a little platinum residuals? Yeah, I, I, I do get residuals every so often. Yeah, not enough to quit the day gig yet. Yeah, though. right, yeah, man. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So you're open to session work. I'm open to session work. You, got, to, you got a rep? No, I have. It's me, myself, and I, man. You want to so, be my rep? You can. No, be my so rep. they got to go to the website. You need some trumpet on your record. Y- yeah, you know, it's just check a, in with Dr. Elliot Kane on York Boulevard, Highland Park. That's right, man. For all you listeners out there, get me a gig. That's man. right. It's yeah. the optometrist joint with the jazz records in the window. That's right. Right. <laughs> I have a Lenny Bruce album in the window too. Yeah. Though, man. yeah. Did you ever see him? No, I'm a little too young for that. But I, I don't know if I ever told you. I, I hung out with his mom. Yeah, uh, Sally. Sally Marr, yeah. Yeah, and that was through a patient. I, I used to work in the Crenshaw area for a couple of years. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I had a patient, a middle-aged uh, African-American woman. It was something different about her, obviously. And sure enough, she's an actress and, uh, and a comedian. Yeah. Her name was Esther Sutherland. Uh-huh. And, um, she, and, we're, and she was from the East Coast, and she had told me in, uh, during the course of the conversation, she uh, knew Billie Holiday yeah. and that she knew Lenny Bruce. Yeah. And I said, well, those are two of my heroes. And she says, well, I'm having lunch with Lenny's mom this Saturday. Would you like to join us? Yeah. yeah so that was. She was a pip, right, Sally? Yeah. She was <laughs> really, into, she reminded me a bit of my grandmother, except sure. my, my grandmother never used the word motherfucker. You know? <laughs> yeah. But she did give me a. a only in Yiddish. Uh, only in Yiddish. Hilaria. <laughs> Hilaria in Yiddish, right? Almost. But she gave me a booklet that Lenny had printed and subsequently tried to have destroyed because of his drug and obscenity trials, but his daughter was re- republishing. Yeah. So she gave me, the, it's called Stamp Help Out. Yeah. You ever seen it? Uh-uh. Oh, I, I got to show it to you. Yeah? Yeah. I got some record that he put out, you know, uh, to get money for the drug trials. Like, it's a little 10-inch. Oh, yeah? That was a, a small press. I'm not, I think, I can't remember who gave it to me or, or where I got it. I know Richard Lewis has got a couple and Kitty had one. Maybe Kitty... Because I did something for her with the shirts. Maybe she gave it to me. I can't remember. It's cool, though. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, he was, was a hero of mine. I mean, I, I when I discovered Lenny Bruce, it was the, the book called The Essential Lenny Bruce. Oh, yeah, that's all the bits. Yeah, and yeah. I, I didn't know who... I was a sophomore in college, and this girl I know lent it to me, you know? Yeah. I And at the time, I was pretty shy, withdrawn, underconfident yeah. person. Yeah. And I read that this was like, it was, I found Jesus. I found yeah. God. <laughs> the Bible. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh my God, this is, he's saying all the things that were inside of my Yeah, man. I, fa- I found man. a first edition hardback cover of that in a bookstore, a used bookstore in Phoenix, Arizona. Huh. And it had a bookmark in it that was a Campfire Girls bookmark. Oh, and wonderful. I, went, <laughs> I, I, I thought this is perfect. Well, it was great talking to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And man. you got that monthly gig at the York. Your albums are available on iTunes. And if you need your eyes checked and you're in the L.A. area, <laughs> Dr. Elliot Kane. Thanks, brother. Thank you very much. There you go. There you go. Keep the dream alive. You can go to ElliotKane.com for all this stuff and uh, hang out for a minute, folks. All right. Look. As I mentioned, um, yeah, it happened. Monday is Albert Brooks Day here on WTF, and right after I got home from the hotel where we talked, I jumped on the mics with Brendan to debrief. But I asked him, are there any regrets around any of the movies? And, And the only story he has, really, 
is about the in-laws, and it's very specific. Oh, and that, he, that's that not remake? Even, right, but, but, you know, he did not have a problem with doing the movie. It was why it got called The In-Laws, because it wasn't called that originally. Oh. And... And and it's a sort of a kind of convoluted, kind of uh, you know, fight on his part. You know, even though it was a remake, basically, but they weren't calling it the In-Laws. And and Albert was very upset that they decided ultimately to call it the In-Laws. And you can listen to that story. You can hear the rest of that bonus episode with a full Marin subscription. Just go to the link in the episode description to sign up or go to WTFpod.com and click on WTF Plus. All right. There we go. That's it. Use whatever means, use whatever options, use whatever methods you have at your disposal to maintain your sanity during this holiday without hurting yourself or others. Um, you know. Keep it together, people. If it sounds weird, I'm in a hotel room. You knew that. All right, I'll talk to you Monday. Here's some uh, guitar from the archives. Monkey and La Fonda, cat angels everywhere. Happy Thanksgiving. Can you do it?